0: Hello, I'm Gary Van Warmerdan, and welcome to PathwayToHappiness.com. As I talk with people on conference calls or individual clients, go to workshops, find that there's a lot of problem questions that come up. What do I mean by problem questions? Problem questions aren't just what people are having problems with. Problem questions are questions that people create problems with. They are questions that hook our mind into subtle patterns of traps, of impossibility, uh, of pursuits where there's no answers. And if there are answers, they aren't great answers. They are deceptive illusion answers. So let me give you an example. Let's start with this question. I want you to notice what your mind does with it. The question is, where did your lap go when you stand up? you may find that your mind is looking for a word, a description, a geographical place. Where does your lap go when you stand up? Now let's try a different question. What happens to your lap when you stand up? You see, in the first one, where does your lap go? our mind is automatically sent because we've been conditioned to answer questions or or jump to an answer for years and years, thousands and thousands of times. Our mind jumps towards looking for a geographical or a physical place that our lap went. But if we ask the question, what happens to your lap? The scope of possibilities for answers expands. Our mind is no longer directed towards a geographical place. Our mind is directed towards possibility, what happens to, and it's not limited to where. I know this question isn't very important, but I'm using it to prove a point about how our mind gets hooked into certain paradigms. When we ask the question, where does your lap go, it assumes that our lap still exists our mind gets tricked and trapped a little bit trying to find something that's in a place when in essence it's disappeared. But the question doesn't allow for that possibility. When we ask the question, what happens to your lap? Now that question, that possibility that it no longer exists is available to us because the way the question is asked. So where does your lap go is kind of a trick question That traps our mind in a assuming it still exists and b that it's in a physical location and our attention goes wandering to possibility of physical location when it's a ghost chase the answer to that question doesn't exist and it sends our mind on a ghost chase we are not used to noticing when questions are invalid And because of that, we often get ourselves trapped in problem questions. These are questions where the question has assumptions within it that are not valid or are distortions and therefore lead us into confusion, traps, indecision, even suffering. There's a great art of Zen, which is the teaching of the Kohen which is where the master would give the student a question and ask the student come back with the answer. And those are classic questions like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? The student would be looking for answers that fit the question and not recognize that the question wasn't valid. The sound of one hand clapping isn't clapping. It's two hands that make the clapping. One hand clapping isn't clapping. It's one hand flopping around. The other trap that that question implies is that that question can be answered with words. That there is some kind of word description, an intellectual conceptual idea that can be conveyed with words that will describe this sound of one hand clapping. You know, For that matter, what's the sound of two hands clapping? And can you describe that with words, with conceptual ideas? Because there's the sound, and then there's the description of the sound, which doesn't come anywhere close. I mean, if I say it's the sound of two hands rushing together and the vibrational impact to air molecules in the palm of our hand, that doesn't tell us what the sound is. It's just a description. You see, you can't know the experience of the sound by the description. But the question assumes that we can. The same kind of thing happens if we ask the question, who am I? We are such a multidimensional being that we create emotions and thoughts and ideas and we have this imagination and a physical body and an appearance and a mind that thinks thoughts. Feelings, intent, actions, things we create. What we are, when it's put in a description, isn't what we are. That's like asking, what is the color of music? You can't describe music with a color. What's the sound of a rainbow? Those words are symbols that cannot convey a visual experience of a rainbow. You can give the scientific explanation of prismatic effect of light in atmospheric conditions of water creating different colors. That means nothing until you see a rainbow. One of the great dysfunctional problem questions that I see people chase is, What is my life purpose? Well, it becomes a great subject for a workshop. It also becomes a great subject to get ourselves frustrated with. Because obviously this is a very important thing if it's our life purpose that's implied in the assumption of the question. It's obviously something we have to know in order to be successful in our life. These are all implied assumptions in the question. It also implies that It's something we have to fulfill in order to be a success. And if we don't fulfill it, we will be a failure. So now there's a lot of self-worth issues. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Reactions to not having the answer to the question and not feeling like we're on our life purpose. So now we're not good enough and we're failing because we haven't figured out the answer to this question that may have a whole lot of implied meanings to it that aren't the truth. You know, We're tricking ourselves into making it a much bigger deal than it is. Or at least a very different deal than it is. Because I'm sure if there really was a life purpose... And if it was really important to you or really important for everybody, then we'd probably be able to figure out what it was. What I do know about a life purpose is those people who feel that they have it and are living passionately in it are doing what they love. They're doing what they enjoy. And they know that they're on their life purpose when they're inspired, they're passionate, and they love the action when they start putting their life purpose in terms of what they have to accomplish, whether it be save the world or feed the hungry or teach kids to read, serve their country, whatever it is, when they put it in terms of accomplishing something, now life purpose has a measurement of success and failure that people feel that they have to succeed at or they might fail at and the mind might trick them into They are a success or they are a failure, depending on the results of this endeavor that happened in the world. Results that they cannot control. And that can be a cause of low self-esteem or self-judgment, feeling like a failure. These are the kinds of assumptions that are very subtle, that become implied in our questions of pursuit, that confuse us. They have us chasing illusion. Does a cat or a dog have a life purpose? Does it need to know what it is? No. These are questions a human comes up with. What is my life purpose? We could say the human mind comes up with, because it has this construct of words, and can put them in an order of proper verb, noun, grammatical order, so it appears to make sense, like, What is the sound of a rainbow? What is my life purpose? But those questions may not have any real value, sensibility at all. They just have us chasing illusions. They throw our mind into that illusion chase. Oh, I must find the answer. Like, where does your lap go? But somehow, some part of it is bothered like, This isn't right. This isn't true. This doesn't have integrity to me. But because we haven't learned to scrutinize questions, to be a skeptic of them, and go, is that really a valid question? To see and be aware of all the implied assumptions in a question and the traps that they can possibly pull us into. We go chasing for the answer to the question as if the question was valid, not recognizing all the traps of the implied assumptions that we're getting ourselves into. So my point is, and I think I do have one, be aware of the questions. Be aware of the assumptions within a question and where they direct our minds and the traps they can take us into. And this just doesn't apply to those esoteric what is the meaning of life questions that we end up doing intellectual somersaults over for years. These type of questions come in real practical forms. For example, there's a gentleman in a workshop and as he was kind of looking back at his life and it was the anniversary of his father's passing and he was looking at his life in comparison and he was raising these two boys and just a beautifully devoted dad to these boys. But he was looking at his relationship with his dad, and he didn't feel he had a great relationship with his dad. He didn't feel like his dad was really there for him. And he wondered you know, how his boys were doing, and am I a good dad, am I a good father? Or do I have some of those tendencies that my father had that I'm carrying and bringing to this relationship? But the question really came down to is, am I a good dad? And this isn't a novel question. You know, I've talked to more than one woman with children who wondered if she was a bad mother. The thing about a question like that is the realm of possibility that that question allows as an answer is yes or no. Yes, I'm a good dad. I'm a good mom. Or no, I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad mom. The question isn't how good of a dad am I being? The question isn't How good of a mom am I being, or how can I improve my relationship with my kids? It's not asking that. It's not asking for an incremental answer. It's asking for an absolute yes, I'm good at this, or no, I'm not. That question is a trap. It sends our mind in only two directions. In one direction, we paint our picture as not being good enough as a parent, in the other direction, We paint our picture of ourselves as being good enough. Yes, I'm doing all the right things. And as accurately as we come to a conclusion about an answer, both are false. They don't allow us to be human. They don't allow us to grow and learn. And even the one that is, oh, I'm a good dad or I'm a good mom, is false because it's an image of what we are. It's this picture in our imagination of us as a good parent. And that picture isn't who we really are. And so we look at it in our mind and we want to believe it, but some part of our integrity says, no, that's not me. That's a picture in my imagination. That's just a description. It's not the real thing. Just like there's a description of music or of a rainbow, but that isn't the thing. So we can't create that picture, yes, I'm a good dad, and say, that's me. But the question doesn't allow for that. Another one of the traps that a question like this plays is it puts us into two dreams in our imagination. One of those is, I'm a good parent, and we build this imaginary world of us being a good parent. And the other one is, I'm a bad parent, and we build this imaginary world of being a bad parent, and we fill our imagination with all those pictures. Well, as we create those worlds in our imagination, our consciousness shifts into the point of view of those characters that we imagine as ourselves. We cast ourselves in in role of good parent or bad parent, In in this case, assume bad parent. We cast ourselves in that role, and then we imagine our whole world from that role. Well, from that role of being a bad parent, of course we look around in our imagination, and we go gather all the evidence, every little instance that proves we're a bad parent. And son of gun, now we really believe we're a bad parent. At the same time, we perhaps imagine ourselves, and well, what if I'm a good parent? And we go around and we look at all the things that we do and all the aspects of our relationship with our kids and we think, I'm a good parent. And that one may be much closer to the truth. The problem is we've also cast ourselves in the image of a bad parent. And we believe those things as well. So now we have two images of ourselves and they conflict. We try to believe we're a bad parent, but our other story in our imagination comes up and says, no, no, I do this and this and this, and that's really good. I'm not a bad parent. Well, we try to believe that for a while. No, that image is not authentic, so there's a feeling of doubt about it. We can't fully believe it. At the same time, there's part of our consciousness in this other point of view of, I'm a bad parent. I'm not good enough. And we have all the evidence we've constructed from that imagined reality of every little instance we didn't do the 100% perfect thing for our kid. So no matter how much evidence we have and how 99.99% of the time we're right there for our kids and they're doing great. They're happy. They're enjoying life. We won't allow ourselves to really feel like a good parent because part of our point of view is looking at the whole possibility of parenthood from that I'm not good enough point of view, putting doubt in every sense of ourselves about parenting. This is how the mind structures duality. I'm not good enough, or I'm good enough. And with that question, which one is me? It only has two possibilities. Which one of these two? See, now you start to see the problem with the question because maybe you're both or maybe you're neither but we don't usually look at ourselves in that light we don't usually discount those images because as soon as we ask the question am I good enough good enough as a parent good enough as a boss good enough as a lover We've cast ourselves in two conflicting roles. Our consciousness moves into two different points of view about ourselves at the same time and gathers evidence of both realities, both imagined realities. And now we have two images of ourselves that are in conflict. And now the conflict goes back and forth. And we're so busy doing the imagining, doing the believing of evidence, and battling in our mind, trying to convince ourselves good enough, and discount the doubt, and things like that, that we never noticed that the question was completely invalid. We never noticed the limitation of asking a duality-based question. Am I a good dad? Am I a bad mother? We never noticed the trap of that question. And we end up in conflict, fighting back and forth in our mind. And we're off chasing illusions of answers. We hardly have time to notice. The question is so far in the past. As much as our mind wanders with questions wondering who I am, you won't get a description answer of words or images in your mind that will accurately give you that answer. You'll get descriptions, but they won't be the truth. You'll get picture images, but they won't be the truth. You'll fight back and forth with them in your mind. But it's basically one illusion story versus another illusion story. One set of beliefs about an image versus another set of beliefs about an image. When neither of them are true. And it all started because of a question. Any one of those duality questions. Should I have done that? Am I lovable? Am I good enough? Did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? Whenever we put those duality contexts into a question about ourselves or our actions, we're going to have illusions going. If we try to answer those questions, we will not find the truth. We'll be chasing conceptual ideas of what we are or of what other people are. Because this paradigm also applies to, should he have done that? Did he do the right thing? Did he do the wrong thing? Should they have done that? And these questions don't just come from our mind. A lot of them come from other people. The whole issue of these problem questions has been going on for a very long time. It's a big part of the psyche and the mind, and gosh, it has a lot to do with how and why we create suffering in our mind because of all these illusions we chase. And for practical ways how to identify and change these core beliefs at the heart of our emotional drama, you can log on to my self-mastery course on my website, com. You can also order my book, MindWorks, which is a guide to identifying and changing these negative thoughts, beliefs and emotional reactions. The book MindWorks is available at your online retailers like Kindle, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iTunes in both print copy and ebook form. This is Gary Van Wormerdam from the website pathwaytohappiness.com